Good morning, everybody. So good to see you guys as we wrap up our series, Above All Else. In this series, we've looked at grace above all else. And if you missed last week's message, I encourage you to tap on, go to our website and listen in to that message. There was a moment that God taught me something new in that talk. And that God's grace isn't a permission slip, but God's grace instead is a change order. And I encourage you to go and listen to the full teaching there as we looked at God's amazing grace last week. We've also looked at contentment above all else. We've looked at joy above all else. Today we're going to look at relationships above all else. And as you know, in our journey through Scripture, we're now in the section of the Bible where Paul is writing to individual people. And so today we're going to look at the entire book of Philemon. So if you brought your Bible, go ahead and open up. I know you read it already this morning. I'm sure many of you have already read Philemon today, correct? Philemon is a very small book. So if you need to use your table of contents, you need to go to the table of contents on your phone. No worries. It's deep in the New Testament. And what we're going to hear today is that these grace-based relationships where we are trusting God and we are choosing joy instead of bitterness or frustration in our circumstances, these grace-based relationships actually work. And they change how we relate to each other and they change how we see life. And I'm so glad that you're here to be a part of this message. So as we turn to the book of Philemon together, I want to give you a big overview of this book. And it's only one page, so it shouldn't take that long. As we look at the book, we we first learn that it's written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner. And he was a man who Paul met on one of his missionary journeys. And when Paul met Philemon, and it's important that I mentioned that he was a slave owner in that moment. When Paul met Philemon, Philemon met Jesus. And he became a partner and a worker in the gospel. The gospel was a change order in his life, so to speak. And Philemon had one slave that we know his name. And his name was Onesimus. And Onesimus saw an opening. And so he escaped from Philemon's household. This was a servant, a slave that escaped from his household and went to Rome hoping to hide so that he could disappear and not have to live as he was living before. I could see why. But as he was in Rome, you know who he met? He met the Apostle Paul. Paul was there in prison. Paul was there in chains because of what he was doing, teaching others about Jesus. And so Paul introduced Philemon, the household leader, the slave owner to Jesus. And now the slave that escaped from Philemon's house has made it and he introduces him to Jesus. And so what Paul does in the book of Philemon is tells us how we live in these grace-based relationships. Because as two men were changed by God's amazing grace, there were requirements for each one of them. And Paul's going to walk us through that. First, he tells Onesimus, you need to go home and make things right. You are free. You are forgiven. You are forever changed by God's grace. But you need to go back and make things right at home. And so as he is sending Onesimus back to this place where he was in slavery, back to this place where he was known as useless, the Bible says. As he was sending him back, he also sent a note to Philemon. 
so that Philemon would know that Jesus had changed Onesimus, so that Philemon would know you need to treat this brother differently. You once saw him as a slave, but he is now much more. He is a brother in Christ. Because when we have these lofty ideas about grace and joy and contentment, we must realize that these lofty theological thoughts have practical implications in our lives. So in the book of Philemon, we see some practical implications. And as we look at it, I want you to focus on just a few verses with me, and then we'll unpack how this relates to our daily life. In Philemon 1, 4 through 7, listen to what the Bible says. This is Paul speaking of Philemon. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And so Paul is writing to a man that is being mightily used by God. And he's known for being one who refreshes the heart of people. You have some people in your life that or a subtraction, and some people that are an addition, some people that take away, and some people that add to. Well, Philemon was definitely one of those add to, always encouraging kind of people. When you were with him, you felt loved. When you were with him, you felt as though you mattered. When you were with him, you left refreshed. And yet Paul is going to ask him to do something beyond just refreshing the saints. He's going to ask him, to let the grace of God completely change how he sees one man, Onesimus. Let's keep reading. Verses 8 through 12. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. He's telling Philemon, hey, while I was imprisoned, he was released from his chains. He was forgiven by God. He is a free man changed by God's grace. Keep reading, verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. And I'm sending him to you who is my very heart. I'm sending him back to you. So what Paul is doing is inviting Philemon and those that meet in his house church, those that meet in his small group, he's inviting them to see how grace changes relationships. And he's about to make three requests. And he says, I could just command you to do it. Paul was an apostle. Paul was Philemon's leader. He could have said, you must. But what did he do instead? He said, I come to you on the basis of love. Anybody that leads anywhere, anybody that guides a family or leads a team, anybody that has any influence over others, take the lesson from Paul here. You can choose the authoritative role that comes with your position, or you can choose the relational role that comes in love and comes in thinking the best and saying the best and doing the best for others. Paul chose the route of love instead of the route of authority. And then he made three requests. And the first request was this. Welcome Onesimus 
And the interesting thing about Onesimus, his name means useful. Welcome the useful one as you would welcome me. Now, think about if you were able to see somebody who meant the world to you. Because obviously Paul would mean the world to Philemon. He led him to Christ. He's his hero of the faith. He was once in prison. They're praying for his freedom. Obviously, it would mean the world for Philemon to see Paul. And Paul says, just like you would greet me, greet Onesimus. See, grace completely changes relationships. So it's not about who they were. It's not about their position. It's not about any other aspect in life except for the fact that they are now a brother who is useful. Paul says that Onesimus was his very heart. Greet him as you would greet me. If you had somebody special coming over to your house, how would you greet them? You might give a hug. You might have a great meal waiting for them. You might welcome them into your house with no hesitation, no limitations. Paul is saying, this guy left your household as a slave. He comes back as a brother because grace is real. And I want you to welcome him as you would welcome me. If you keep reading, Paul also says the second request is charge any of his debts to me. If Onesimus departing from your household cost you anything, if Onesimus leaving cost you a cent, here's what I want you to do. I want you to charge it to me. What he was saying is, I will take responsibility for my brother. I will take responsibility in these relationships because if he cost you something, I don't want you to hold that against him. I, I, I might be taken advantage of. It's risky, but charge it to me. Amazing thing is you think about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the religious people around tried to, to, to get him in a corner, and they said, well, who's your neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of a man who was injured on a, on a route, and the religious people walked by and ignored this man that was laying near death. An evil, dirty, nasty Samaritan walked by. He saw the man that was hurting, saw the man that was beat up, and he took him to a place where the man could get rest and where the man could find healing. And he paid the guy's bill. And he said, if there are any more charges, put it on my account. And Jesus asked the question, who do you think the neighbor was? And begrudgingly, Begrudgingly, the religious leaders looked and said it was the Samaritan. So this idea of charge it to me, let me be taken advantage of. Relationships are risky, but they are worth the risk. Let me be charged. Let me pay a price. This is how we show our love for God and our love for people. As uncomfortable as it is. And then last, Paul said, prepare a guest room for me. This is a man who was aging. We read that in this passage. This was a man that was imprisoned in Rome. And what does he do? He has great confidence in God. And says, oh, by the way, I might be in chains now, but we're praying and God's working. I might be in chains now, but we're praying and God's working. So prepare a place for me. Because I'm coming to see you and I'm coming to see my heart, Onesimus. So prepare a place for me. As we look at relationships above all else, and these grace-based relationships above all else, 
One of the things that we hold to, one of the things that we cling to is hope. Because God's grace is always at work. And God's grace, as we learned last week, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. And teaches us to say yes to to upright, godly, self-controlled lives that are best for us. So Paul says, welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul says, put it on my account. And Paul says, hey, while you're at it, leave a place for me. Because Paul believed in grace and Paul believed in the power of God. And he looked at Philemon in this letter and he said, I'm confident that you will do all of this and more. What a story. There's a little like drama. A man escapes. There's a little inspiration. Two men's lives are changed. What a story. There's a little conflict. Will Philemon accept Onesimus when he returns? What a story. Paul says, charge it to my account. The hero in this story is a man named Jesus who's changed everybody. And like, let's put it on. I'll be taken advantage of for his account. This is a story. But how does this story impact you and me? I want to remind you that the very foundation of our church is built on these type of relationships. These relationships that aren't based on who you were, but based on who you are. These relationships where grace isn't a permission slip, but grace is a change order. These relationships where we say, my life is forever marked by my relationship with God and my relationship with you. Parkway Church was, is, and always will be about relationships. Relationships with people and relationships with God. Our founding pastor, Scott Weatherford, used to always say, relationships make life rich. And that's one of the things we see from the book of Philemon. Is Paul fell in love with Onesimus. This was a man who, he said, he's, he's my heart. Paul loved Philemon and said, this is a man who's a partner. This is a man who's a worker in the gospel. With that, can I just remind you that as we connect to the church and we connect to community, Parkway isn't just a place you come or event to attend. Parkway is a family that you're connected to, where we are growing deep, loving relationships, where we are living in heart-to-heart ministry with each other and doing life together. Is it risky? You better believe it. Is it worth it? Yes, it is. So today I want to encourage you with four things that we can do to to look at the message of Philemon and say, you know what, I want to practice the kind of grace-based, loving, hospitable relationships that we see here in the Bible. And the first one is this. Make time for one another. In our day, your most valuable commodity is your time. We live in a world that is busier and more active, always on, never off. That's the world we live in. And if we as believers are going to live in grace-filled, loving, life-changing relationships, we must make time for one another. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us not consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews challenges all of us with this, what I like to call the relational rodeo. He says, let us consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us consider how we can meet together to have meetings that matter when it comes to us living in God's grace and sharing and being mobilized by God's grace. Let us consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let me, let me ask you, I have never worn a pair of spurs before. Anybody here wear a pair of spurs? Ladies, put your hand down. Joking. I don't know where that came from. But here's what I know. Whoop. Here's what I know. When you are wearing the spurs, it's a lot more fun than being the horse that's getting spurred. And so I just invite all of us to say, you know what? I'm going to enter into some relationships where there are going to be some days whenever I help my friend walk with Jesus and I encourage them to love and and live their faith. And then there are going to be some days whenever I'm the one that needs this group. There are going to be some days when they need it and I'm showing up for them. And then there are going to be some days when I need it and I am showing up for them. I'm going to set the habit of building relationships that will help me and help others live with love and good deeds. So my question, what's your habit when it comes to connecting with God's people? Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews here says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, 20 years ago, as we were looking at how we could reach our community, one of the things that we asked was, how can we get lost people to attend our church? People that don't know Christ, how can we get them to attend our church? Let me tell you, in many ways, in the last 20 years, that question has changed. Yes, we want people who don't know Christ coming. Yes, we want people who need to begin a relationship with Christ in our midst. Yes, yes, yes to all of that. But as Christians have decided that church is a matter of convenience instead of a matter of discipline, instead of looking to see how we can get the lost to come to church, the church with a capital C is now having to figure out how can we get Christians to come to church. Because we have picked up a habit of convenience instead of a habit of discipline. What's your habit when it comes to your involvement in the body of Christ? What's your habit in your involvement in healthy, God-honoring relationships? Here's what I know. If you don't prioritize it, it won't happen. If you don't schedule it, it won't come together. So I want you to schedule and I want you to prioritize September 4th on your calendar. If you don't know who your small group is, you don't know where your, who your people are and what your place is in our church, September 4th is your day, 6.30. We're going to grill burgers. We're going to grill some dogs. Dinner's on us that night for the whole family. You come and you find your place at Group Link. Let your kids, if you have children, find their place at Impact Kids and at Student Impact. We have a place for you and your family. My question Will you prioritize it? Will you schedule it so that it actually happens? In today's day and age, we are so busy, even as a church, that if we're not careful, we'll be hypothetically connected to a great church. 
What do I mean by hypothetically created to a great church? Somebody will ask you, hey, what, what do you like about Parkway? Oh, we got all kinds of groups. We do all kinds of service projects. We've got all this stuff happening in our community. And then that friend asks you the pointed question, well, how do you like your group? Oh, well, I'm not in a group. When's the last time you served in the community? Can I go? Oh, I don't do that. What I'm saying is that we, hypothetically, have a great place. Will you make time for one another? Second, open your life to trusted friends. When I see the relationship that Paul had with Philemon and Paul had with Onesimus, I am challenged to open my life up. Here, here's, a, here's a question. And it's a hard one. Well, let, me, let me phrase it correctly and it won't be quite as hard. How many people in this room are extroverts? Extroverts, y'all are really quiet right now. I, I was thinking, I, I, I figured if I said how many of y'all were introverts, it would have been like... So let's try that one more time. Extroverts, you are the ones that like to make noise and get noticed. Thank you. How many of y'all are extroverts here? There you go. You are ready and willing to open your life up to anybody. The person standing behind you in the grocery line, they're going to be your best friend. You will open your life up to anybody. How about those of us that are more introverted? So the invitation to open your life up to trusted friends is a risk that's worth taking. Because who we are hanging out with is who we are becoming. It's the proximity principle. It's the idea of you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So together we look and say, we're going to open our life up to trusted friends. 1 Timothy 4, 8 through 10. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love that challenge. Offer hospitality without grumbling. What does grumbling look like? Well, I don't want to go to a small group. I don't need a small group. You might think we need to go to a group. I don't want to go to a group. That's what grumbling looks like. I ain't got time for a small group. And nobody will say that stuff out loud because you know what you need. You need to open yourself up to trusted friends. And so the command here from Peter to the church that was paying a price for their faith is offer hospitality, open up your life, open up your home, open up yourself without grumbling. I don't want to go to a small group. I don't want to go to a small group. Look, you told me when I go to a small group, and then I'm going to go to a small group. I don't want to go to no stinking small group. Open your life up to trusted friends. So who's in your corner? Who's got your back? Who's going to tell you not only what you want to hear, but what you need to hear? Third, encourage one another to live for Jesus. The reason Christian community is life-changing, and the reason we all need people in our corner, and the reason we all need a place where we call home is because this is the only place and these are the only people that will encourage you to live for Jesus. If you sit with a circle of men at work, you will be encouraged to do any number of things. To do it well, 
to do well at work, you might be encouraged to do that. To do things socially or to do things with hobbies, you might be encouraged to do that. But a group of men or a group of couples, nowhere else will you have the life-giving Word of God opened and shared. Nowhere else will you have the chance to discuss it so you understand what it means and you apply it to your life. Ladies, you may have a circle of friends that you can tell anything to. Is that circle of friends helping you become more like Jesus? So the question isn't, do I have people? The question is, am I doing the right things with my people? Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's this picture of the forging process. It's this picture of of the radical work it takes for life to change. It's both a rodeo and it's a forging process. And so I ask you, are your friends helping you live for Jesus? So if you've got a circle of friends, can I encourage maybe a couple ways you can do a relational reset? If you've got a circle of friends that you trust and you hang out with, how about you don't just hang out? You connect around God's word or you pray. Now, you don't have to have a deep Bible study every time you're together. But what if you just shared what God was up to in your life? What if you looked and said, we've got this friendship and we trust each other. Let's look at God's word or let's ask the question, how could we pray for each other? One of the things that happens when we get really close with people as friends is we stop sharing what's really going on in our lives. And so you need a circle where you can drop the curtain, where you can be real and say, this is what's going on in my life. So one of the relational reboots is God hasn't just given us this friendship for our purposes. God has given us this friendship so that we can sharpen each other. And then groups. We're going to have dozens of groups launch in the next couple of weeks. Don't just meet together. Groups, don't just meet together. Encourage one another and cheer one another on. Every time you gather, every time you meet matters. So you encourage one another and you cheer one another on. The last one, number four. If we're going to live in the kind of hospitality that we see in these grace-based relationships, we're going to leave room for others to connect. Paul says, make a room for me. Here at Parkway, we say there's always room at the table. There's always room in a group. Hebrews 13, verse 2. Listen to what the Bible says. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. This picture here from the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we have no idea how far our impact, how far our relationships go. You might think you were just taking care of somebody on the side of the road. Your impact went further than that simple changing of attire. You might think that you were just encouraging someone as they came into your group for a season, but the difference you made touches eternity, reaches to heaven. So we make room for each other. One of the phrases that we've used around our church for decades is that every group needs to have an empty chair because we are praying for and looking for and encouraging people to fill that seat in our group, to fill that seat in our church. 
If relationships really do make life rich and relationships really are life-changing and relationships really are worth the priority and the schedule and the risk, then we must be praying for other people to fill that seat. Whether it's a seat in your small group or it's a seat next to you at church. It's the empty chair. Paul said, leave the whole room for me. We're not asking for people to come and live in your house. We're just asking that they come and fill the empty seat. When I was a student pastor here, on Wednesday nights, as we were getting things really going in student ministry, we would pray for our Sunday morning gathering. And we would pray that God would fill the empty seat. And when God filled all the empty seats, we had to get rid of the chairs because there wasn't enough room anymore. And then we had pillows and we had bean bags and we had benches. And so we would pray, God, you fill those bean bags, you fill those pillows, you fill those benches. And so we, on Sunday morning, saw the pillows and the bean bags and the benches filled. And still students were coming. Why? Because we had a place for them. We were praying they'd come. So what do we do? We went and bought bleachers like you would see at a little league field or a soccer field. Aluminum bleachers. You could fit about 42 kids on those aluminum bleachers if they were junior hires. And then we started praying for the bean bags and the pillows and the benches and the bleachers because we wanted there to always be a space for others in our student ministry. Friends, I encourage you to have that same heartbeat, to be one who's an inviter to your small group or be one who's an inviter to your large group. Always making room for others. Because you know what you do in those groups? First Peter says that you administer God's grace in its various forms. You never know how God is going to use you in your group or how God is going to change you through that group. That's why you need to make time for others. That's why you need to open up your life to trusted people. That's why you need to encourage each other to live for Jesus. Because you never know what God's going to do in you or that person that you've been praying for. Let's talk to God together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word and to learn and to grow together today. God, help us to live in grace-based relationships. God, help us to live a life that prioritizes connection to community that's best for us. Lord, help us to live lives where we are actively growing in our faith and sharing that growth with others. God, I pray that the church now would look and say, it's time for me to take my next step. Whether that's to join a group or lead a group, God, it's time for me to take my next step. And church family, without grumbling, without hesitation, would you commit to join a group? And you're not committing to me, you're committing to God without grumbling, without hesitation? Would you commit to connect? Because people need you and you need people. As we continue to pray, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, I encourage you to believe in the one who died for you. Your sins have separated you from God. But God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. They crucified him and then they laid him in a tomb and three days later to prove that he's God and to show us that he has victory over sin and death 
he was raised again to life. If you've never believed that simple message, I invite you to believe today that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and that the Lord Jesus is the Savior of the world. If today's your day to believe, let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 